Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Plastic has become an integral part of our daily lives. But every year, some 8 million tons of it ends up in the ocean. And there, it could be lethal. When David Attenborough's Blue Planet 2 was first broadcast on the BBC in 2018, it changed the way we think about plastic and its impact on marine life. But three years on, has anything really changed for the better? As the COP26 UN Climate Change Conference draws to a close today, the Indo Daily takes a timely look at the issue of single-use plastic. This is not a war on plastic per se, but rather it's a war on single-use plastics. And asks how we as individuals can help make a difference. I'm Siobhan Maguire and today I'm joined by Irish independent environment correspondent Caroline O'Doherty. Not everyone realises that the plastics industry is part of big oil. That's where it all comes from. It comes as a byproduct of oil. And Mindy O'Brien, Chief Executive of Voice, voice of Irish concern for the environment. Caroline O'Doherty, even before we get on to the subject of plastic, Ireland's packaging waste is overall a big problem. But what happens to it all? What happens to it, it goes down several different routes. um, And we like to think that a lot of it goes to recycling. That's what we're encouraged to do. That's where all the emphasis has been for the last 25 years. Unfortunately, the, the end result is not quite so simple as that. We are putting our waste packaging in our recycling bins and recently, you know, the regulations were loosened up there so that we can put more kinds of uh, recycling, uh, recyclables, we'll call them, into our recycling bins. But there's a difference between recyclables and actual recycling because not an awful lot of what we're putting into those green bins is actually being recycled, you know, being changed into, into another kind of material to make another kind of product. We are sending quite a lot abroad for treatment um, and by that means some of it may go to recycling, some of it may go for incineration and we're actually incinerating a lot ourselves. Now it's not called incineration even though it goes into an incinerator, it's actually called recovery because they're incinerating it as two major plants in the country and what they do with that is they generate electricity, they burn rubbish, waste, recyclables and create energy, create electricity and sell that on. So it's actually called Uh, waste to energy or energy recovery, which is a nice way of saying we're incinerating our potentially good recyclable materials. 
So burn, bury or ship. And actually, um, the incineration side of things, uh, while people have very strong views about about the idea of of burning waste, really, when we compare it with landfill and landfills filling up on a daily basis and landfills still holding rubbish from decades and decades ago, is incineration a better option? People don't like incineration because they think of burning stuff up their chimney and seeing the dark, dirty soot coming out and potentially bits of unburnt material. That's what we connect with burning or backyard bonfires. Certainly modern incinerators are designed to absolutely incinerate so that there are you know minimal emissions. There's still public scepticism around that, even though they are very well monitored and licensed. Um, but it is an emotive issue. People don't like incinerators. But when you think of the landfill legacy that we have. Landfills closed. Landfills did not go away. The landfills have to be managed every day in this country. They're producing methane gases, toxic gases in the air. They're leaching all sorts of noxious liquids. All of that has to be drained off. That's brought to our wastewater treatment plants for treatment. It's an ongoing, costly and kind of disgusting um, activity for those involved in it. We can't go back to landfill. We don't like incineration. We think we're cheated when we're incinerating uh, recyclable materials. So where does that all lead us to? Do we have to stop generating this material in the first place? Presenting the possibilities of plastics. Plastics help save you from dents and broken bones. It helps protect my patella. They help save energy. Then light plastics, fewer trucks, less gas. They help save you from being scrambled. They help save the soda. They help food stay fresher. Brussels sprouts? Plastics can even help save toddlers from trouble. And this vest helps save my dad's life. Plastics, plastics make it possible. And this is where the big plastics debate is coming into it. The idea of banning single-use plastic. And we're an awful lot more aware of all of this going on thanks to uh, Sir David Attenborough and the Blue Planet. Um, And and we heard earlier a a clip from that show that really did, you know, tug at the heartstrings because we don't want to be thinking about destroying our marine life. So there's a concerted effort now to really tackle the issue of plastics. But not all plastics are bad, are they, Caroline? No, they're not. And when plastics were first brought into our lives, they were designed to be durable. They were designed to be really long lasting. And probably in every cupboard, in every grandma's cupboard in this country, there's a piece of Tupperware that has lasted for 60 years, 50 years, used day in, day out. And it's it's not going anywhere and it's still working. Um, but that's not the kind of plastics that we were talking about, because the thing is, if you produce a plastic item and it lasts forever, well, there's no profit in that for the manufacturer. So they have to produce something that has to be replaced all the time, continuously, every day, maybe several times a day. So the plastic container that holds food for one short journey, uh, for one short meal, for one short shopping trip, and then it's thrown away. And then you go and get the next one. That's the problem. They're called single-use plastic for a reason. They're used once for one purpose. And even if they're recyclable, we tend to be throwing them away. And we have um, the war on straws, plastic straws. I mean, they're they're kind of being singled out in the single use plastic debate as the big no-nos. And then uh, we have uh, people like uh, the former president, President Trump, um, basically asking, well, 
why plastic straws? Why not bring it even further and include the little plastic knives and forks and the little cartons in in terms of fast food culture? And we'll just hear that clip. They want to ban straws. Has anybody ever tried those paper straws? They're not working too good, right? They want to ban straws. I said, well, you know, I've had a couple of meals at McDonald's, etc., over the years, right? Wendy's, friend of mine owns Wendy's. I'll give it a plug, right? Burger King. So they want to ban straws. I said, oh, really? What about the carton? What about the plate? What about the knives and the spoons that are plastic? Oh, they're okay. But the straws, we got to ban. Caroline, the straws, we've got a ban. What about everything else? He has got a point. He does, but not in the way that uh, he's trying to deliver it. His point is we do need to get rid of all, at least the point I'm taking out of it is we do need to stop using all this. You know, there's an extreme irony in that these kind of items, um, the straws, plastic straws and the throwaway uh, knives and forks and so on. And actually, it's kind of it is getting harder to find them around Ireland, which is good uh, because they're not supposed to be visible at this stage. We're supposed to be stopping using them. Um, but they were kind of foisted upon the world as a great convenience and a great, you know, h- hygiene, 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 hygiene. You go into a takeaway, you know, and there's people rushing and maybe they're not washing the knives and forks the way you'd wash them at home. You know, you get this pristine knife and fork, you get this pristine straw in a little paper uh, container and that's all for yours and you don't have to worry about somebody else's germs. You know, and the big contradiction there is that plastics, microplastics, tiny shards of degraded plastic, shredded plastic, you know, even even the plastic that's recycled, it's shredded and then it's power washed to, to be clean and tiny little scraps that we don't see vanish, vanish into our waterworks, vanish onto our streets, blow away onto our streets, get washed down into our drains, go into our wastewater cycling, go onto our land. You know, there is plastic in just about everything. There's plastic in the fish that we're eating. There's plastic in some of the, uh, some of the soils that we're growing our plants in. There's potentially tiny microplastics in some water treatment systems. Maybe not uh, maybe not the water that we're actually drinking, but it's in the water treatment systems. You know, and there's plastic everywhere. So for, for our hygiene and health, we're using throwaway plastic. Well, it's coming back to bite us because it's in our systems. What can we do, Caroline? What we can do is keep on the pressure, okay? I mean, there's a lot of um, a lot of emphasis goes on what the individual consumer can do. And I never like to say consumers are powerless because they're not. But, you know, the average consumer just does their own shopping. Um, they've limited influence and they're up against, you know, huge industries, huge industries that, you know, derive from the oil industry because plastic is a derivative of oil, um, huge plastic lobbies, um, huge retail and wholesale and manufacturing companies who use plastic. So the whole chain there that the individual consumer is supposed to fight up against by saying, I'm not buying plastic today or I'm not, I'm going to look for my, you know, my fruit as, you know, loose fruit, not in a plastic container. Or I'm going to buy it in a plastic container, but I'm going to leave it on the counter on the way out of the shop so I can show them, you know, I'm not taking your plastic anymore. You know, that's great. More power to people for doing that. And, and please do it. But it's not where the answer lies. The answer lies at the source here. If we're recycling or if we're burning recyclables, but if we're recycling because we think that's what we're doing, um, you know, we're addressing a problem. So the problem is that there's waste materials being made. So it's good. It's commendable. It's commendable to be trying to address the problem. But if a problem keeps recurring, you've got to get to the source of it. And the source of it is that manufacturers and industries are using this material, convincing everybody it's necessary, 
and they're the ones who have to be tackled at source. Now, there are laws coming down the line that say that they anything they put into the system will have to be a recyclable plastic because some of the plastics they're using are not recyclable uh, even now. But that's not coming for another 10 years or so. And even after that, we still have the issue of even if it's recyclable material they're putting into the system, it's still single use. And what happens at the end? We have to deal with the problem. Mindy O'Brien, you are an expert on plastics and recycling, whether you like it or not. And it actually began quite early on for you in um, your home state of Michigan. Yes, um, you know, I've been working in Ireland in the environmental fields since we moved here, which is almost 25 years ago. And before that, I worked in the environmental field, both in Congress and uh, in my studies. But growing up in Michigan, uh, we had one of the first deposit refund schemes for drinks, bottles, and cans. And and there was a 10-cent deposit on the aluminium can and on the plastic bottle and also glass bottles. And every time you return it, you got your money back. And I meant spent many years when I was younger, you know, trolling through the rubbish bins to find that, to get some pin money to spend on, of course, sweets and candy apples and things like that. But it gave me appreciation for the recycling and the the value that's in that container. Um, But, you know, yeah. And so we're just getting that here in Ireland next year. That's right. And Mindy, there's been a very strong history of publicity where pollution and raising awareness is concerned. In America, for example, we've had some very strong adverts um, that have had an impact on the wider public over there. The likes of, say, Susan Spotless in 1961 with her little jingle about picking up litter. Please, please, don't be a litter bug cause every litter bit And we had the crying Indian in 1971, which was a very powerful campaign in that it made people sit up and take notice about exactly what they were doing in terms of their own part in pollution. Some people have a deep abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And some people don't. People start pollution. People can stop it. I think it was in the 1970s when the crying Indian came out, and and probably that's not PC to say now, but um, there was a Native American guy. He was walking through you know the parks and the forest, and he found litter, and he went canoeing in a lake, and he looked, and there was a bottle floating in the lake. And he turned to the camera, and there was a single tear coming down his face, saying, "You know, you do your best, keep America beautiful, and you know, pick up your litter, basically." So put the onus on the individual. Um, to pick up their litter um, and never put the onus on the producer of that litter. And interestingly, I think the Keep America Beautiful campaign was actually financed by Coca-Cola and those people who were putting the packaging onto the marketplace. So I think that started the trend that it was up to the individual to deal with their waste, um, which is the kind of the end of pipe solution rather than looking at what the producer can do to prevent the creation of the waste in the first place. And you could argue that same experience 
is still going on, that the consumer is feeling this huge weight of responsibility and quite rightly so in terms of the part we all play in uh, in, in protecting our planet and, and, and doing our little bit to help everything. But the, the weight really needs to come back on industry. Yes, I think, you know, recycling is important. And if we get packaging, it's you know, incumbent upon us to make sure that it's clean, dry and loose, that we put it into our recycling bin. But also we need to look at how can we prevent it? Can producers um, provide things in less packaging? We see a lot of things that are overpackaged. You know, fruit and veg that's packaged that doesn't need to be packaged. You know, my husband went to buy, I asked him to buy some carrots and he normally would buy loose carrots because he knows I'm very passionate about this. And there were no loose carrots to be had. So he bought a two kilo bag wrapped in you know plastic carrots. There's no way we could go through two kilos of carrots. There was no need to put those carrots in the plastic bag because they're fine, loose. So I think industry, because it's ease of convenience for them because we buy more, A, and B, they can just throw things you know, into a box and put it onto the shelf. So it's easier for them. But as a result, there's a lot more packaging out there. And I know when you arrived uh, to Ireland in the late 1990s, recycling for you was pretty much a guy with a truck that would arrive into a churchyard uh, once a month. And that's where your recyclables would go. And of course, we've moved on from that now. The green bin in our home is a staple of our household chores. And we, uh, for a lot of people, they'll see it filling up far quicker than the waste bin. And we feel like we're doing our bit. But are we really? Because there's there's a there's a key to recycling properly, isn't there, Mindy? Yes, we have to put the right things in the bin, and the indus- and the uh, government has just announced that soft plastics have been put back into the bins. Here's some good news, Ireland. From now on, our recycling bins can be used for all plastics. Yes, even soft plastics. So now we can put that back into the bin. I've got some things here. So this is a uh, frozen peas. It's in a bag. You can see it here. You can crinkle it in your hands. It's actually made from LDPE, which is a polymer. It's low-density polyethylene and that can go into your bins. It is recyclable. Because that's kind of like a hardish plastic. No, this is very soft. Okay. So that can go into your recycling bin. Uh, you know, very easy to recycle are the kind of the rigid plastic. So like this punnet that, you know, you would put tomatoes in or spinach or whatever. But oftentimes that's covered with yeah. a film. And so this, what we ask people to do is separate the two. So you put the rigid plastic in and then you put the soft plastic in separately. So try to separate the different polymers because the optical scanners in the recycling facility sees the different polymers and if it sees this wrapped and only sees the top polymer it doesn't see the bottom and it gets mixed up. And that's the thing I mean a lot of us might have that uh, bad habit of simply shoving everything into the cereal box uh, because we feel we're making more space in the bin but that's a big no-no. Yes everything needs to be loose so uh, we call it the Russian doll effect please don't put things into other things because the scanners cannot see through the the wall of the container. So everything should be loose. So I have a cereal box here, actually, and they had the little lining in inside. So just take the lining out, put that in, and then put the box, flatten it, and put it in itself. And the reason, why do we want it empty? Why do we want it clean? Because metals go through a heat process 
plastic goes through a heat process. But the thing is, we have a mixed recycling bin, so paper goes in, and paper is very fragile, very sensitive to grease, food, oil and it goes into the way you recycle paper is you put it into a water bath and it separates all the fibers and if it has food and grease it contaminates that recycling so that's why we want to keep everything clean Christmas comes but once a year remember keep empty bottles, jars and cans for your local can and bottle banks don't throw them out throw them in we still need to recycle um, and most of our plastic stays within the EU, which is good. It used to be shipped off to China, but they've closed their doors, which was a good thing because I think it's made us aware uh, of what we're producing. Um, and I know that, that there are two investment opportunities to actually recycle the plastic here. I, um, Panda has uh, announced that they're going to do a bottle-to-bottle recycling in Port Leash, I believe, and there's a soft plastic plant, recycling plant, I think, uh, in the West Coast that they're talking about investing in. So hopefully we can do some more of that recycling here, keep the resources here to recreate packaging here. But another thing it's important is that even though we collect all these things for recycling, worldwide we're only recycling 8 or 9% of the plastics. Um, and that's because there's not a demand for the recycled polymer. And that's why we need to put mandates on industry to use recycled polymer in their products. And uh, the single-use plastic directive that was just passed in the EU, it now requires drinks containers like um, gr- dr- uh, plastic bottles to have a 30% recycled content to create the demand for the recycled plastic because oftentimes recycled plastic, because it has to go through a lot of processes, is more expensive than the virgin. So we need to equate the price and make recycled plastic uh, more competitive with virgin. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up, and change is coming, whether you like it or not. You've stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. That's what climate activist Greta Thunberg uh, said in an emotionally charged speech to world leaders at the 2019 UN Climate Action Summit in New York. Caroline, um if we have the younger generations calling us out on this, it really is time for us all to play our part in this. Absolutely. Greta turned 18 in January this year. She now has the vote. Now she had the popular vote and she had the young people's vote. She now actually has the vote, as do all the young people growing up with her. And they become that becomes a really powerful force at the at at the election, at the polls, if it's used. So do we wait though for them to, to push for a change at the elections? Do we do we really is that what's going to push us? Do we have to wait until they vote in more radical, more ambitious politicians? I mean, that's shameful. You know, the they speak the truth. There's no denying it. They speak with a sign to speak, except they do it in a, in a clear and crystal way that everybody understands. So waiting for that kind of long term change, waiting for them to actually have to vote for change when everything that they say should be pushing us to change in the first place. It's kind of shameful. Mindy O'Brien, the last word to you. How do we proceed from here? What solutions are there for us? 
we can't be swayed by false solutions like compostable items. They're still single use. We need to look at a different way of doing business where we rent the packaging, we borrow the packaging, we bring our own. The thing is, we want to buy the product, not the packaging. So if we can go into supermarkets, refill in a reusable container, you know, our pastas, our rices, our cleaning products, where we can refill the the packaging over and over again. Or if we want to go for a coffee, that we borrow a cup, we get our coffee, we bring it back, they wash it, and they reuse it again. We need to look at building up the infrastructure for this reuse revelation and revolution. So this is about people power. It's people power. Talk to your supermarkets. Talk to your takeaways. But talk to your politicians. There is a single, uh, there is a circular economy bill coming through the doll right now. That was Mindy O'Brien, Chief Executive of Voice, and Caroline O'Doherty, Irish Independence Environment Correspondent. And once more, uh, we'll end on the words of, of David Attenborough, who really has uh, shaken up the, the psyche in terms of the war on plastics. We thought that the oceans were so vast that nothing we could do could have an effect upon but now we know that was wrong. It's now clear that our actions are having a significant impact on the world's oceans. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's Indo-Daily was presented and produced by myself, research by Tabitha Monaghan and sound design by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from independent.ie, RTE and the BBC.